0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com.
1: The big news in the Kiefer house is that our daughter, Anna, uh, is home from Mongolia. And so so we're... Happy 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 to get her back she's safe she's happy and so we're we're really excited about that but I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a report on that uh, in part because you uh, sponsored her uh, you were we were a sponsor for for her missions work and it was hard work really really hard work um, she had not slept in a bed alone since she left basically uh, as a of fact, she hasn't been alone in a room for the last three months because it was a team of 11 people all crammed into this tiny, tiny little space. So she was in Inner Mongolia and the average temperature was between 35 below zero and zero for a high temperature and that was every single day. For the better part of her trip, uh, there were just no toilets, which is a bit of a challenge for her. She was most looking forward to a toilet. I said, what are you most looking forward to when you get home she said a toilet I'm like wow I thought you were gonna say me but okay <laughs> whatever uh, and so the team uh, had to go weeks without showers or bathing and uh, she showed me videos the kids were so greasy that they would wipe their hair and then their hands they would just use it as like hand, hand lotion. yeah uh, and then you have the food so Anna is a vegan and there is no vegetables. There are no vegetables in Mongolia for some reason. She showed us a picture of the produce section at the grocery store, and it was a completely empty thing with one bin of like softball sized pumpkins for some reason. That was all the produce that they had, and so they ate meat. And Anna ate meat, mostly sheep, but the part of the sheep that they seem to be drawn to is the head. So it was a lot of sheep heads. Some eyeballs, they ate horse meat, and I just thought, my little vegan has come a long way, baby. <laughs> right. So, suffice it to say, the trip was hard. It was very, very hard. People cried on a regular basis because of the difficulty of what they were enduring over the last several months. But, I want to tell us, you guys, I want to see something to you, and that is that you and I... Go through much worse. You and I have experienced much worse than this. And what Anna went through in Mongolia was tough. I mean, don't get me wrong. Those were trials for her and they refined her. And you and I, we go through trials every day and those trials are a great litmus test for our, you know, in terms of our journey to become more like Jesus, right? So trials that we experience on a daily basis, those things are helpful to to kind of mark time in terms of whether or not we're becoming who we're called to be. But. There are a handful of times in life where we encounter a battle or a trauma that is much, much larger than even going into a country far, far away in a hostile environment with people you don't know and having to eat crazy things, right? There are things that happen once in a while. In our lives that bury you and us, they reduce us to rubble, they take us to the limits of our ability to handle it, and then they just bust right through that. And we go far beyond what we're able to handle. And the author of the book that we're reading as a church, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Cazero, he calls those those few moments in life where we are taken to the very end of ourselves, he calls those moments walls. He says that we hit walls, we're cruising through life, and then something major happens and we crash into a wall. And the title of today's sermon is Journeying Through the Wall. I, I actually wrote Journey through the Wall because I didn't know if journeying was a was an actual word or not, but I'm calling it Journeying Through the Wall, right? And so the walls are those events the, the events in life that are so impactful and so Deeply wounding that we end up kind of questioning everything we question ourselves we question God we question the church it's it's those moments in life where we're like where is God what is he doing and how could he possibly allow something like this given what we know about him right and one of the old church fathers John of the cross he called this the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. And I know that we have all experienced those moments, right? And so some of the walls that we might experience in life, one would be maybe a job loss after long time employment somewhere. It could be a battle with infertility for, you know, years and years and years. It could be the death of a child or the death of a spouse. It could be um, watching one of your kids go down the tubes, just watch them not thrive in life. It could be the betrayal of a close friend. It could be hopelessness in marriage over a period of years. It could be wanting to be married but having to wait and wait and wait. It could be um, a painful church experience at the hands of a, of a pastor or a leader or something like that. It could be long-term sickness that we're dealing with. But these events do more than put a dent on the fender. These events in our lives, they don't happen often, but they are the things that make us have to pull the car off to the side of the road and to get help. The problem is, I think, in some ways, that much of the focus of our theology it doesn't actually make much room for these types of events. We tend to give most of our attention uh, to the to the, the messages in Scripture that bring us closer to the blessing of God and the abundance of God. Right. In other words, we uh, like I, I was thinking so much this week about the prayer of Jabez. Do you guys know the prayer of Jabez? Right. In First Chronicles four verse ten, it says this: He Jabez was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. And interestingly enough, a book was written about 20 years ago uh, by Bruce Wilkinson entitled The Prayer of Jabez. And you're not going to believe it. That book sold 10 million copies, right? It turns out that many of us are interested in more blessing, getting more if we want, prospering at work and at home, being trouble and pain free, right? There's a few people who would like to be a part of that. And I got to be honest with you guys. I bought the book. I read it. I'm interested in that, right? And because that type of a life is so enticing to us, and because there are so many promises uh, of blessing, you know, given to us in the scripture, and because we know God is such a great God, we can sort of sub- subconsciously construct a faith around the pursuit of those types of blessings and that type of a lifestyle. But there's so much more in the scripture that we tend to sort of like brush off to the side. You don't see Psalm chapter 6 verse 3 written on many coffee mugs or pillows, right? My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Right, We don't rally around those verses as much. And oftentimes what we end up doing with the, the bulk of our prayer life and the bulk of our thinking is, is we spend so much time praying that we would get what we want and praying that we wouldn't get what we don't want. Right? We do this consciously, but I think somewhere in the recess of our thinking, we develop this process of thinking that goes something like this. If we, then he... If we, then he, and the general statement is this, if we act like God wants us to act, he will go full Jabez on us, or at least partial Jabez on us. If we do our best to to, to live with godly behavior, if we do our best to honor him and obey him, he will provide for us some extra level of blessing or protection in all fronts of life. And of course, like I said, God is a God who loves us. He's a father who gives good gifts, right? But sadly, we all come to a moment of crisis where that simple. equation no longer works. We've come to those points in our lives. And the psalmist, uh, not David, but Asaph, the psalmist, he experienced this. And he wrote his story in Psalm 73. And I'm going to piece it together because it's a long psalm. But I want you to, to, to try to get into Asaph's skin here. Because actually we probably all can because we've experienced this. But he says this. Surely... God is good in Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold for I, listen to this, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens, and they're not plagued by human ills. Listen to this. Surely in vain. I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Skipping to verse 14. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. And then he kind of turns. There's sort of a turning in his outpouring of his heart starting in verse 21. And he says this. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, God, and yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven beside you? And on earth, Uh, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And when I when I read that scripture, I was just like, wow, wow. And I just want to ask you, have you ever gotten as real with the Lord or as real with someone in your life as Asaph just did? This is the sum of what Asaph said in his outpouring here. He said this, I'm jealous of evil people, God, because you unfairly prosper them. It's in vain. It's a waste of time that I honor and obey you. Every day is a new punishment, and I don't understand any of this. That's where Asaph was at, right? And I just want to ask have you been there? Have you, and have you ever gone public with your dismay? The psalmists did all the time, right? As a matter of fact, there's a whole section of Psalms called what? The Lament Psalms, right? So we see people getting real in the Bible all the time. Those real stories of people running into walls, catastrophic walls are with us everywhere in Scripture. We see David being ordained as King of Israel. And then he spent the next 10 years on the run for his life, living in caves. That's a wall, right? We see Jesus in his crucif- crucifixion saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see Job losing his children and his house and his friends and his health. We see Joseph being sold into slavery by his own family, his own brothers, right? And I couldn't help but notice with myself that it's not super hard to read those stories on the pages of Scripture, but it was really hard in real life. Those were catastrophes for those people. Those were devastating. And so these walls that we come to, they bring the collapse of our Jabez Christianity. And so walls, I want to tell you, are a normal part of the Christian life. It's a normal part of the Christian life because his kingdom has not yet fully come. Jesus had prayed that your kingdom would come, that my kingdom would come, and my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, that is, right? Why do we pray it? Because his kingdom isn't fully here. But here is the good news, church, and that's this. Walls are not only an ordinary part of life, but walls are an ordinary way of growth. They are full of potential for growth. For you and I, as a matter of fact, that guy John of the cross uh, again. He said that walls, those those incredibly difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in, those times of trauma, that's the normal way of Christian growth. And the promise is, is that given the opportunity, God can and will do an amazing, maturing work in any one of us who would be willing to walk with God through our walls. Jesus' little brother James said this. He said, consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual Spiritual maturity and inner peace, and let endurance have its perfect result, and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. You see, what James was trying to do for uh, the people that he was writing for in his day, and what he's trying to do for us, is he's trying to reframe our thinking when we hit those walls, right? He's trying to change the way that we think about them. This stuff is real, and um, what I wanted to do is is just spend um, a few minutes uh, actually giving kim Osika, there you are uh, an opportunity to share with us sort of the journey of her encountering a, a wall and um, she 'll once you come up there 's the microphone should be uh, where is it oh it 's over here. All right, you go over there. Good. So this is Kim Osika, longtime thriver, amazing person. Uh, we, yeah. Get, yeah. So, um, so I've been aware of uh, Kim's story and something that she's been working through over the last year and a half, right? I, probably two years. Okay, so. talking to them? Yes, probably two years or so. <laughs> Dan is so smug. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he taught me nothing. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Kim, first of all, before you tell us about just um, your experience of, of hitting the wall, and it, it was a wall of just kind of a, a spiritual crisis, right, of just belief and things like that, but what was your, what's your, your like, church background like or your faith background like?
0: Sure. Um, I grew up in the church, but would say that I didn't really come to know Jesus personally until I was a young adult in my 20s. Um, Doubts kind of crept up over the years, but mostly just kind of squelched them and didn't entertain them a whole lot. Always kind of on the back burner. Um, and something I feel like I should mention kind of that's probably pertinent to my story, too, is that I've really always struggled with... Um, being in the word on a consistent basis. And I think that has been, that was a challenge during these last couple of years that I didn't have the access, I guess, to as much of God's word, um, kind of already in my heart and in my mind that, um, would help me to kind of counteract some of the doubts that I experienced.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so, you know, you know what the, what the wall is as we've been describing it. So what was, what was the wall for you?
0: So, um, a few years ago, this is probably Kind of five years in like the last five years. Um, as many of you probably have, have heard these too, there have been lots of stories of well-regarded Christian like celebrities, um, authors, pastors, musicians who, um, kind of went through what they've termed a deconstruction of their faith that ultimately led them to either completely change their theological stances, um, or to just really disavow their faith in Christ altogether and these all kind of concerned me over the years of course Um, but it was uh, probably about two years ago that I learned about a Christian musician that I had really never even heard of before um, but he had walked away from his faith and I'd heard this and somehow it just I was drawn to his story um, I began to watch a few interviews that he did um, where he talked about the questions of, of his faith and um, the questions specifically that he couldn't reconcile and his story was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me um, after all of the other deacons stories that I had heard. And I thought, I have those questions too. And I related to him so wholeheartedly that I began to read and watch like more and more about his deconstruction story. And
1: it- deconstruction is just kind of like slowly but surely taking, you know, like losing faith That's and, right. and doubting, doubting yes. the faith, doubting the scripture, wondering if this whole thing is real until you're kind of left with... Like, not, nothing left, right? Correct. Okay.
0: Correct. I think some people would argue that they can deconstruct their faith and sort of build it back again, but in this per these instances, yes, that's okay. what. And, uh, so it all led me down to kind of this internet search rabbit trail where I found a whole bunch of other similar stories and I started to spiral into despair, mm-hmm. um, because I started to con- um, consider how, how can I consider myself a Christian when I have these same significant doubts. And um, these are the same doubts that had caused these men and women um, that I thought were probably much smarter and likely had a lot more um, biblical knowledge than I have, caused them to leave their faith. Um, so I reasoned that if I couldn't find, if they couldn't find resoli- resolution, um, how was I going to be able to do the same thing?
1: Got it. Um, and so tell me about what was it like when you were at sort of the, the toughest spot? Like what were you feeling? What were you thinking in that, in that moment?
0: Well, like I just said, I really, it was despair. <laughs> I think um, it felt like there was a weight on me as I was considering that the, the possibility that everything that I had believed up until now um, just wasn't true. And honestly, I didn't know how I was going to recover from that.
1: Mm-hmm. So so how did you begin to walk through that then?
0: So thankfully, um, during that time, I had found a, or I'd come across a Christian apologist that I'd not previously heard of, and um, he happened to be speaking about... Um, what to do if you're going through a faith crisis? Sean, Sean McDowell. Right? Sean McDowell. Yeah, Josh McDowell. If you know him, it's his, um, his son who's now an apologist in his own right. And he, he had a lot to say, but sort of his simple answer was, feed your faith, not your doubt. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really kind of struggled with this at first because I'm like, well, my faith, if I have faith, if, there, if this faith is true, it should be able to hold up to all of my internet searches of stories of people who have disavowed their faith. Um, and I still believe that God's word can stand up to those doubts that were expressed in those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I started to realize that was that um, kind of Sean was even pointing to was that I was only doing, I was only looking at these stories of shattered faith, and what I really needed to do was start to learn from people who had these same questions and um, had come out of it on the other side, and so I did begin to turn to these stories to sort of um, help to guide me and um slowly but surely i did feel like the foundation of my faith began to strengthen so i had that and then i also had a good friend um who i i had spoken to quite a few different friends about what i was going through um but particularly i wish she was here today wendy Seidman um came alongside me during this time um she was consistent to reaching out to me when I otherwise just really felt very alone. Um, she let me talk and ask crazy, crazy questions. She really let me monopolize any time that we had together. It was not a lot of like, so how are you doing, Wendy? It was more like, what about this? And what about this? And this is really bothering me. And um, she just consistently prayed for me. And I remember telling her in the middle of it, Wendy, if I make it to the other side, and if with my faith still intact, it was in large part because of you. And it's true. It really, it really was. Um, and like I said, I had talked to other people about her or about what I was going through, but she was specifically crucial for a couple of reasons. One, because she's gone before me. Like she's older and wiser in so many ways. So she's kind of been there, done that. And she, I knew she was a mature believer who had gone through a lot. Her faith was not smooth sailing and she didn't have trite answers for the really deep questions that I had. And that was really important to help me feel like I could trust her and um, that I could engage my doubts and questions with her.
1: Wow, that's yeah. amazing. So, how is your connection with God different now than it was, um, say, three or four years ago?
0: Yeah. Well, I wish I could stand here and say, like, I have super consistent quiet times with God all the time now and I feel his nearness and his closeness and that I'd had this like radical transformation um, but it's that's just not my story it's not tied up in a um, package like that but there are definitely some key differences I would say I have a deeper recognition of the mystery of God mm-hmm. um, I know that there's a lot that we can know about God, but that faith requires us not knowing a lot too so that's kind of been a big takeaway um I also I think one of the biggest things is that I have a greater recognition of faith being a journey um kind of like what you were talking about before I want my Damascus road experience I want to be able to just have this radical immediate transformation um but what I've learned as you said it's not the norm in faith and God often has us on a longer journey and in fact I I've even thought like Paul had his own journey that led up to that moment. So um, even his transformation, I don't think was as instantaneous as we believe that it was. And then uh, I would say lastly, um, a key difference that I have learned in how to express the assurance of my faith yeah. is um, I think it's prideful to say, and this is something also that Sean McDowell had um, helped me understand. I think it's prideful to say that I'm certain mm-hmm. of the existence of God yeah. and the truth of his word, but I can say that I'm confident in it. And I would very much say that that's where I'm at right now. Um, and I think that's good enough. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that it's required or even a reasonable goal to... Try to find any sense of certainty, um, but conf- but certainly yeah. c- confidence in God is attainable.
1: That's good. Yeah. That's the awesome. yeah. Right, so last one. Yeah. Do you have any um, comfort or encouragement for anybody that's kind of going through um, the same journey or mm-hmm. anyone that's just hitting a wall, you know, is experiencing a, a really, really, really tough time and are kind of, you know, being reduced a little bit and wondering where the heck is God?
0: Yeah. I thought it was cool that you used. Um, Psalm 73 because that's something that has, yeah, that I've kind of going through this time. The one verse that was constantly going through my mind was, whom am I whom have I in heaven but you? Like, if if all of this is not true, there's nothing. Like, that was a huge thing for me. Um, So I constantly was like, well, whom am I, who have I but you? Um, But also, In this season and in other seasons, I've taken great comfort in um, a verse from Isaiah that says um, God speaking to Cyrus and he says, um, and I will give you the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places so that I, the Lord who calls you by name, so that you will know that I, the Lord who calls you by name, am the Lord God of Israel. And So like Cyrus, I experienced this great sort of spiritual darkness, and God had a treasure for me there, and he also had confirmation for me that he is who he said he is, and I think that's true for all of us, and we can all take comfort in that.
1: Mm, So good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Good job, Kim. Good job. All right, so so coming to the wall is a regular part of life. Hopefully it's not a weekly thing. Hopefully it's a a once-in-a-lifetime thing or twice-in-a-lifetime thing. But we do hit these walls. And so the question is, is what do we do? What do we do when we hit the wall? And what I want to encourage us to do is to not try to find a way to go around it or over it or avoid it but I want us to uh, do what my friend did in my backyard when I was 11 years old Uh, when we were kids we would play football uh, in our backyard and uh, with a bunch of neighbors and we uh, there was a fence in in our backyard that didn't belong to our family was the, the persnickety neighbor behind us and I will remember this fence for the rest of my life because it was like a frame with this thin woven Wood together, right? And we would you know throw the ball or kick the football over the fence at least three times a game, and so we'd always be climbing his fence and jumping into his yard to get our football, and he was always yelling at us, telling us that we're not supposed to climb the fence. And so one day we were playing football and uh and the ball went over the fence as it always does. And my friend ran up to climb the fence, and I said, No, 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 you can't do that. He doesn't want us to climb the fence. And he said, No problem. And and he backed up about 10 feet <laughs> and he ran right through the fence <laughs> busted right through the thing left a hole, crawled through it, got the football, came back, I was in a lot of trouble, that was not a good thing, right, so but he did what I want to challenge us to do, and that is to go through the fences because avoid, or to go through the wall because avoiding the wall trying to go around it without dealing with it um, always will leave us having to deal with the wall again we try to make the pain go away quick but when we do that we don't get the benefit of um, learning and experiencing how God is going to lead us through it. And of course our initial responses to pain, our initial responses to trauma and to difficult things are oftentimes the exact opposite of what we should be doing, right? Because we tend to do a couple of things when we when we get into pain. The first thing is, is we try to get out of it as quickly as we can by, so, by any means possible, right? But the The other thing that we do is we often hide our pain. We often try to bury it, right? We try to avoid the wall or go around it by burying it and stuffing it so that nobody sees, so that we almost just don't have to deal with it because we think if we can bury it deep enough, it's just going to go away on its own. And so when things get too scary... When things get too painful, uh, we end up stuffing that stuff. And really, we don't talk about it. We don't tell people about it. And we end up forcing ourselves to deal with it over and over again. We don't get past it or through it. And the other thing that I, I noticed that we tend to do is we tend to medicate ourselves to deal with the wall that's in front of us. When our pain or our fear or disappointment is too, when it gets too high, we also get high. We try to get high, right? We try to get high on extreme busyness, right? That's like one of the most socially acceptable, even uh, you know, something that we applaud, right? And so when we overfunction and we get ourselves too busy and we distract ourselves, that's a way of distracting ourselves from the hard things that we're dealing with on the inside. And the problem with it though is this, and that is that if we are constantly over functioning, we will not experience God as God. If we are constantly racing and over-functioning, we will not experience God as comforter. We will not experience God as redeemer and as healer until we can be still and know that He is God. And for many of us, being still and knowing that God is God and experiencing Him in our scary places, that is a very difficult thing. It's counter to how we do here. But we have to stop doing that. We need to learn to be still. And so we get high by overfunctioning. We get high by medicating ourselves through uh, excessive busyness. We medicate ourselves through excessive screen use, like scrolling endlessly through social media, or using our screens to pursue unboundaried sexuality, like pornography and things like that. And sometimes we actually just we get high by getting high, right? We use alcohol or marijuana or prescription drugs to help us to deal with the pain that is kicking around in our hearts. And when we try to evade those painful places in our lives, what we do is we keep the wall in front of us. And we ensure that we will keep dealing with it over and over and over again. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage us to go through the wall, or actually more particularly than particularly than that, I want to encourage us to grow through the wall. We're going to grow through the wall, right? And so how can we grow through these tremendously difficult seasons in a way that would lead to healing, in a way that would lead to restoration? Um, how do we move through the wall when we inevitably reach one? Well, there are a few very powerful things that we can do to help us to move through those really hard seasons of our lives uh, in a way that will bring healing, in a way that will um, honor God and will help us in those times of trouble. And the first one is this, and I'm gleaning a lot from you, Kim, actually, but the first thing that I would encourage us to do when we're, when we've hit a wall, when we're going through a, a really, really painful time, when we're at the end of ourselves, I want to encourage us to recruit a team. I want you to recruit a team. Share the load with God and with others. Because I believe, church, that our pride and our fear are enemies of our healing right? Pride and fear are enemies of our healing, uh, but God moves through the loving care of other people. You want to experience God? Then gather godly people around you, right? And while pain often causes us to go inward, to shrink back, and to hide ourselves, I want to encourage you to share your pain, because when you share it, you lighten your load. And um, I talk about it all the time. You're probably sick of hearing it, but you guys know that I've been on a journey with uh, really, really bad hip. uh, And it's now been uh, over 15 years of dealing with this and multiple surgeries. I was actually at the orthopedic surgeon on Friday night. So this is an ongoing thing. But you know what I never did in my hip journey? I never woke up on a Saturday morning and said, you know what? This hip is no good. I'm just going to do surgery on myself tonight. I'm going to take this thing out. I'm going to put a new one in. We'll take care of it. This will be good. It'll be fine. No, right? No way would I do that. What did I do? Instead, I gave myself to the care of teams of people, of general practice doctors, of orthopedic surgeons, of nurses, anesthesiologists, physical therapists, and all and more, right? Why? Because there's no way. I know that I can't do that alone. I know that I can't get healed of this thing alone. And this is nothing compared to the things that we deal with in our hearts. And so why would we ever try to do it alone? And so I want to encourage you to recruit a team when you're having a rough time. Get some godly people around you, like Wendy was for Kim, that are going to hold you up and pray for you and listen to you and just be with you in it. So that's the first thing. Number two, I also want to encourage you to do what Kim and the great Native American Sitting Bull said, right? And that is to feed your faith and not your doubt. Feed your faith and not your doubt. And the way that Sitting Bull put it was this. He said, inside me there are two dogs. One is mean and evil, and the other is good. And they fight each other all the time. And when people ask me which one wins, I always say the one that I feed the most. That is true of us as well. If we want to grow through our walls, we need to feed our faith and not our doubts. And so get that faith in you. In any way that you can, surround yourself with it, ensconce yourself with the word, ensconce yourself with worship, ensconce yourself with people that are praying for you and and people that are fighting a good fight along with you. Feed your faith and not your doubt. Number three, the next thing that we need to learn how to do and the last is this. I want to challenge us that if we want to grow through our walls, we need to learn as a people how to wait on God. And this one is, again, very un-American. It's not our way. It's culturally very foreign to us. But there is a, a way of waiting on God that actually instructs and strengthens us and comforts us. And... There's a way of waiting on God that does nothing but kills time, just passes time, right? And when we hit our walls, very understandably, we might kick and scream, we might complain, we might bury our hurts, we might do the, the self-medication thing. But like I said earlier, when we do those things, all we're doing is wasting time. It doesn't get us one inch closer to our healing. It doesn't get us one inch closer to restoration, not one inch closer to a breakthrough that we need. And at some point, we're going to have to reckon with the with the idea that there is a way of waiting on God that will bring healing and will bring peace and will bring restoration that and it's a way of waiting that fixes our attention on God himself it is so hard to rip our brains off of the pain and to fix it on God but only when we do that will we begin to move through our wall Psalm 27 says this wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait on the Lord. And I was thinking about uh, Jesus's sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And while he wasn't explicitly talking about how to wait on him, I felt like we get, we get the feel of it in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. (coughs) Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying to us is that there is a special healing, a special blessing that comes to us when we wait on him and when we wait with him, when we mourn, when we're poor in spirit, when we're hungry and thirsty, when we're meek and humble rather than being prideful. And Jesus, so so Jesus and Asaph, the author of today's psalm, and Kim, they would encourage us to learn to wait, to cling to God when we're going through our wall, right, so that we can grow through it. And if we learn to wait on God, and not just on a breakthrough, if we learn to feed our faith and not our doubt, if we learn to humble ourselves and recruit a support team, I believe there's a promise for us, and I believe the promise is this, that we will come through our wall. We may come through it and walk with a limp after that. We may. But we will carry with us a new humility, a new maturity, a new wisdom, a new strength of faith, a new Christ-likeness, things that we never had before. And so I just want to say it's time to stop avoiding our walls. It's time to stop... Um, painting over them. To bear, it's time to stop burying them. It's time to start going through them because God has a way forward for all of us. Amen? Why don't we stand up? Let's, um, let's just pray on this together. And what I'd like for you to do, we're, we're just going to spend a few minutes together here. And um, I just want you to ask the, the Holy Spirit to bring to mind um, either your greatest current um, pain point or something that's historical for you. Because we all have them. Just allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind that thing that is in your heart that's caused you grief. Grief. That's um, been so impactful that you kind of had to pull off on the side of the road. And I I just want to say, the first thing I want to say to you is that experiencing overwhelming trauma of any sort does not make you unchristian. Your hurt your pain the difficulty of your circumstance whether or not you believe that it was of your own doing there is no shame for you if we've ever been embarrassed because of our struggles of any sort was proud of Kim for sharing that she's always had a hard time um, with getting into the scripture if you have ever had a hard time with some area of your life the Lord wants to pour his light and his love into that area and if there's a place in your life where you're grieving Jesus said blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted And so just as a church, we just are going to reject our hiding. We're going to reject acting like a Pharisee, painting a prettier picture than what's happening on the inside. And I'm just going to pray for a grace and for the power of the Holy Spirit. To rest on you for a moment, because what I want to do is I want to break off the self medicating that we do, and so for you, it could be shopping, it could be food, it could be drugs and alcohol, it could be pornography, it could be any number of things, but we 're going to just outright we 're going to call it out as it is as an idol that sets us back, and we 're just saying. Lord, forgive us. We repent of using those idols to deal with our pain. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us freedom right now. Lord, I pray that you would send to us a person of peace that we could speak to, that we could talk to and say, this is how I've been trying to deal with my pain. I don't want to do that anymore. Will you pray for me? Will you cheer me on? Will you help me to cling to Jesus in this? Whatever that idol is, I just want to encourage you, just in your heart, to just place it at the feet of Jesus and just say, take it. I don't want it. Jesus, that our foundation may be shaken, but we pray that we would discover your foundation.